Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the day. Thank you, Lord, for the... um, the grace given to us through the love that you have for us, God. Jesus, you coming and you living a sinless, a perfect, a spotless life that that the sacrifice that you made would be worthy uh, and sufficient. And so we're grateful, God. Uh, that we can stand before the King of Kings, justified and forgiven. What a joy the gospel is. Thank you, Lord. Just bless our time now in this familiar territory, but uh, renew our hearts again and renew our, our minds in this area. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, yeah, we had a good time last night. We had a good turnout. That sounds really loud. Is it really my voice really loud, or is it okay? All right, it sounds really loud to me. But um, I think we had almost thirty people here, which is pretty cool. So, uh, and to watch the debate, uh, if you everybody watch it, everybody, did you, did you guys see it? It's still on their website. If you want, to, they archived it for a few days. They said, so if you want to go back and view it, you can. It's debatelive.org is the website, debatelive.org. And uh, it was, they actually finished just about on time. It was exactly two and a half hours. So um, they opened with five-minute openings. They countered with five-minute rebuttals, if you would, and then each of them did a half-an-hour presentation. Um, and then they went to a two-minute question with a one-minute rebuttal uh, for about 45 minutes, and that was that was pretty much it. So, but it was it was uh, very very good. I thought so. Enjoyed it. All right. First um, Corinthians 15. Paul, you guys, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. You guys know this, but that's okay. Um, because we're just going to keep going through it and, and keep reviewing it. But Paul is in the process. He's writing this letter to, crea- to correct bad theology. Um, they, had, they had gone astray from the teachings that he had established while he was there in the region. They were chasing after, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, more... I don't know what the right word is. They, they, they were interested in other teachings, and, and rather than standing on the foundation that they had, had been established, they, they found these other teachings interesting and, and veered off of the, the foundation Paul had set. So in the, the area we've looked at for the past few weeks is this area of spiritual gifts um, that God has given to us through the, the, the presence of His Holy Spirit that we might edify one another. 
And what they had done is they had taken the spiritual gifts and, and essentially were abusing them. They, they weren't using them for their intended purpose, which would be to edify one another. They were using them as, as a power trip to say, well, you might have the gift of tongues, but I have the gift of prophecy, so I'm better than you. And they were using it. Uh, they, it became very me-centered. And, and so Paul corrects those things, and that's why chapter 13 is in the middle of chapter 12 and chapter 14, strangely enough. Um, but it's the idea that the love chapter is, is where it belongs, is, is right in the center of the idea between the gifts and then specifically the gift of tongues. And, and, and that's the idea, is that we want love to be the, the foundation, this agape love. Really, chapter 13 is the definition of, that, of what agape love is. And so now as we turn into 15, which is really uh, 15, the book ends in chapter 16. So Paul's bringing the plane in for a landing, if you would. He, he's kind of wrapping things up. But it's almost like he saves the best for last, or at least one final issue that's, that's in my eyes, even greater than uh, importance in, uh, of is, is this idea of the resurrection of the dead. And that's what chapter 15 is all about. Um, and so, uh, I don't know, I, I like this chapter a lot, and we're gonna, just going to kind of tear it apart here. So, um, it's, essential, it's essential to Christianity that we understand what we're going to talk about tonight. It's, it, this, is, this is what Christianity hinges on, is the idea of the resurrection of the dead, but more specifically, what we're going to look at tonight is the gospel, the good news. And I know, like I said, I'm preaching to the choir. But the interesting thing is, is I've been a part of Calvary Chapel for a long, long time. And you go to pastors' conferences. And, and for the first few that I went to, my expectation was that at the pastors' conference, I was going to get some kind of information, some kind of special knowledge, some kind of... Uh, way to do something that 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 you didn't get at a church service, that you didn't get at a, a normal gathering, and that's not the case at all. And that's what I really liked about Calvary Chapel. Ended up uh, is that when you go and sit under Chuck Smith at a pastor's conference, he opens his Bible and does a Bible study, and and in that he is saying, "This is all you need to know." This is all that we need. We don't need any special gimmicks. We don't need any tricks. We don't need special knowledge or anything like that. You just need to open your word and teach it. And so as he taught us as pastors, that's, like I said, you guys know the gospel, but here it is again. And, and so uh, that's what we're, we're looking at today. So we look at verse 1. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you by uh, and in which you by which you also are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So Paul is now turning the corner, stepping away from the gifts of the Spirit, and looking at something that we should all be very familiar with, and that is the gospel. Back in the early part of the letter, he said, I came to you and I preached Christ crucified. 
That's, that's the foundation that he established. And here he is coming back to it toward the end of his letter as well. The gospel, what does it mean? You guys know, the good news. Gospel means good news. Now, for centuries and centuries, we as Christians have taken the word gospel to mean the good news of Jesus Christ. And certainly that is the gospel. That is the best news, but it didn't always mean just that. It didn't always mean the gospel of Jesus Christ. It meant, gospel meant good news. Hey, I got a raise at work. That was gospel news. That was, that was, that was, and so it was a, a term that was used commonly in, in everyday language just to mean good news. Christianity kind of hijacked that word, if you would, took that word, and rightfully so, to say, no, let me give you the good news. There is, there, is, there is good news, and then there is the good news, and that would be the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the best news. He says, going back to verse 1, he says, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received. And so that is the first step in in. And holding the gospel in our lives is that we have somebody that has come and shared that good news with us. Paul here says, I declared to you the gospel which I preached to you. This is, uh, I'm restating what I've already stated and, and, and you received and that we have all walked through that as well. Somebody in your life, as you've walked with Christ for however many years, somebody was there at the beginning. Somebody introduced you to Christ. And, and so that is the first step, is that you receive that gospel. Somebody shares it with you. And then we believe, and, and, and byproduct of that is that we stand in that belief. Standing would mean that we remain in our belief. Really, it's, it's our belief in the gospel that saves us. It's, it's that we believe the good news that is what saves us. It's interesting what verse 2 says, by which we are also saved, verse 2, so that, that we have received it, and by that we are saved. It's the belief in the gospel that saves us, if you hold fast. That's, that's interesting. If you hold fast, what does that mean? Well, if you continue to believe is what it means. That you are saved by your belief in the gospel, the good news, so long as you continue to believe the gospel and the good news. So that your active, or so that your, rather your faith would be active, that we walk circumspectly, that we stand in accordance with the gospel, that our lives reflect what we believe then by that gospel we are saved. People always ask, is it a, do we believe in a once saved, always saved? Do we believe in you know, that you can lose your salvation? That's a great topic of debate for many different people. And what Calvary would teach is this, and it makes sense to me. I don't know what the back and forth is, or all the theology behind all the different beliefs. But what Calvary would say is, God is never going to take back a gift that he has offered. That, as he has offered us his salvation, God will never take that back. But 
he also doesn't impose on your free will. And if you choose to walk away from that gift, he will allow you. And so I think that's demonstrated in this verse too. If you hold fast, your, your life should reflect that you are continuing to believe. He says in verse 3, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. So Paul is saying, hey, I shared with you because somebody shared with me. Now we know how Paul got saved. We know the road to Damascus experience where, where Jesus literally met him on the road. And, and, and his encounter with the good news in the gospel was with the one who brought the good news in the gospel. That, of course, Jesus Christ. He received that from Jesus. And that is what he delivered to the church there in Corinth. Paul's message, he's saying, is not my own. I didn't make this gospel up, he's saying. I didn't, I didn't think this up on my own and work it out in my own way. This was something that I received, and now I am turning it, giving it to you. We do the same. Let's just take a look at that sentence. You might want to underline it in verse 3. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That is the gospel. That is the good news. That's what has taken place that has allowed us redemption. Christ, speaking of Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. I've said this time and again. You guys kind of know it, I'm sure. But Christ is not his last name. It is his office. It is his title. He is the Christ. Christ means Messiah. It means the Savior, the one that has come to save. And that's what he came to do. So Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. Christ, second word, died for our sins. It took sacrifice. And that's the definition of agape love. Remember, it's a sacrificial love. It took sacrifice to appease a holy God. God in His holiness has wrath toward sin, and rightfully so. And so it took an atoning sacrifice to appease that wrath. How did all that happen? That happened through the crucifixion of Jesus. I know it's not a pleasant picture to think of or to look at, but it's necessary for our Christian faith that we understand what crucifixion was. It was not a pleasant thing. Uh, if you've seen the movie um, Passion of the Christ, you, 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 I, I couldn't watch it. I had to, I had to look away. It, it's horrific. And, and probably, in truth, the movie didn't portray it even well enough. But it was a, a process of, of killing somebody. It was, the Romans didn't invent crucifixion, but they certainly perfected it. And it was a method of torture intended to deliver a message not only to the one being crucified, but also as a message to those witnessing the crucifixion that this is what 
you have in store for you should you speak against Rome. It's, like, like I said, it was horrific. They, the word excruciating, when you think of excruciating pain, that word excruciating comes from the word crucifixion. It's a, a word they developed for the pain that's involved with crucifixion. As they tore open the, the victim's back through scourging, first of all, and just imagine that many people died of that first. You know, they never even made it to the cross. Leaving a, a, all those muscles exposed, and then they would um, lay the person down in the dirt, allowing all the germs and, and all that to seep into those, those fresh wounds. They would nail um, through the, the two bones in the wrist, uh, piercing, I forget the name of the nerve there, but they said it would cause such great pain that it would cause your hand to, to swell into, or to, to curl up, you know, in, into a claw. Um, the, the, the board that they were nailed to was a, a rough sawn board. Imagine an open, exposed back on that rough sawn board. They would nail your feet to the post as well, sand you up in this position, um, and wait for you to die. It, it was graphic. It was horrific. Um, you could die of many different things on a cross. Um, exhaustion, not essentially the idea in order to, to breathe or in order to exhale, you had to pull up on your arms or your shoulders so that you could let your breath out and take another breath in. Uh, eventually you would get to the point where you were so exhausted that you couldn't do that any longer. Um, heart failure, uh, stress from the injuries would, would cause heart failure. Uh, just very horrific that our Savior endured that. Christ did die. I don't need to continue on, right? We, we get the idea. I mean, and Jesus suffered so much more being mocked and crown of thorns and beaten as well. But I think the next word is the pivotal word. Christ died for. There's a reason that this happened. There's a reason that, that our Savior, the King of the world, the King of the universe, the King of kings and Lord of lords, did this. There is a reason for that he, 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 he the word for there, he, he, he accomplished this with intent. What is the idea there? What is, why did he do this? The theological term is called penal substitutionary atonement. Penal substitutionary atonement. And what that essentially is saying is that a just God who demands perfection, which means to be sinless, needed a punishment sufficient 
for those that went against the perfection demanded. Okay? And so the idea, the, the penal system is that you get punished for something that you have done. Okay? And so there must be sacrifice for what? For sin. Then the next word, penal substitutionary, the idea is that somebody took somebody else's punishment as a forget as a as an atonement as a, a redemption as a sacrifice Christ died for he he stood in our place he he took a cross that was ours we deserve the wrath of God and he absorbed the wrath of God Christ died for our sins. Who is the hour? It is, according to John 3.16, the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Some would question, is the price that Jesus paid only for those that are saved? Only for those that were going to is receive Christ. Obviously, God knows who's going to receive Christ, as their Savior, so did the price that Jesus pay, was it only sufficient for those that are going to be saved, or is it sufficient that anybody could be saved? According to the gospel, God so loved the world that he gave his only... God so loved the world. It's not God so loved the saved. God so loved the world. And so the price that he paid was sufficient enough that if all the world came to repentance, all would be forgiven. The blood was sufficient. Christ died for our sins. What is it to sin? It means to, to miss the mark. Whose mark? What's, what, what mark? Well, God's mark. He's the one that sets the standard. As we listened to the debate, to the debate last night, I, I, I chuckled a few times, a lot of people did, to Ken Ham's response, you know, as, as Bill would pose questions to say, well, where is this? Where do you have that? Or where, where do you understand that? And, he, and Kim's response was, well, I have a book that it talks about that. And he would, you know, of course, refer to the Bible. That's because Ken Ham's belief, my belief, uh, as Christians, our belief should be what we call a biblical worldview. That means that we believe that God is the ultimate authority and that, therefore, his word it stands as the authority of our lives. Therefore, when God says, I have a standard, we subject ourselves to that standard. And to fall short of that standard is to sin, is to miss the mark. You guys um, may have heard this before, but the, the word sin is taken from archery. And when you would you know, draw your bowstring and, and, and loose your arrow, if you were to miss the target entirely, as the arrow was flying, as you knew that you were missing, you would yell, sin. It means to miss the mark. And so that is where we, we get the idea. But to, the, the mark we're missing is God's standard. God says, I have this measure that I expect. My measure is perfection. You have fallen short of that because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so what Jesus does is he takes our paltry sacrifice, 
or our, our, what we can offer, our, our marred lives and exchanges his perfect sacrifice that we might have forgiveness of sin. And I love that it says at the end of verse 3, that is according to the scriptures. This wasn't just something, oh, hey, Jesus got caught, and so God said, let me think real fast about what I'm going to do now that they've arrested Jesus, and it looks like he's going to die. How about if, if that's going to happen, then maybe I'll do these things and set these things up so that, so that you know, it'll all work out. That's not what happened at all. That wasn't Jesus made a mistake and got caught. This was according to the scripture. This is what was stated beforehand. We know that it spoke of the, the Messiah dying. Isaiah 53, Psalm 22. The Old Testament would tell us that our, our Savior came to die even early on in Genesis as, he, as God curses the serpent. He says, I, I have a plan in place. Verse 4, and that he was buried, he being Jesus, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now, I like this as we go through these first few verses of chapter 15. Really, what Paul is doing is establishing what we would call a creed, it's a, it's a, a, a statement of belief. We have that if you look at our, well, the website's not up right now, but if, when we get the website up, we have, as a Calvary Chapel, a statement of belief. Very early on, as many, um, as the gospel spread, the, they felt the need to establish creeds in order to make sure that people were not teaching heresy, that, that the doctrine that they were teaching were accurate. And so, in the in the three hundreds, uh, about the three hundreds, they uh, had the council at Nicaea, where they put together the Nicene Creed, and that's a creed that is, uh, if you look it up, it's it's just a statement of belief. We believe in, and I don't remember it at the moment, but you can look it up. These things that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he. Uh, suffered and died under Pontius Pilate, that he was crucified, that he, he was dead, he was buried, and on the third day he rose again. The Nicene Creed. I don't know what kind of churches, if you guys grew up in church, I grew up in a Methodist church, and every, about once a month, maybe even more often than that, as a congregation, we would recite the Apostles' Creed. And that's a, a, a creed that was given actually after the Nicene Creed, somewhere around, I think they said 500, uh, just a, a statement of faith. This is what we believe. Uh, you may have heard the term catechism before. A catechism is the same idea, the same idea as a creed to say these are the, the, the ten amount things that we believe as a group of people to say this is how we are defined. Catechisms were often taught to families and to children to help them understand theology. That's what Paul is doing here in the first part of 15, is he's creating his creed. And so if you read you know, verse 3 and 4, I, I delivered to you, first of all, uh, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Kind of stating what we believe, what the good news is, right? 
It says in verse 4 that he was buried. What does that mean? Well, you don't bury live people, generally. <laughs> That's not something I, I, I don't think I would want to be buried alive, right? Buried is proof that Jesus did die. They, they didn't bury, even in those days, they could tell if a person was dead, and they generally didn't bury live people. And so, Jesus, this is proof that he was dead. He didn't just swoon on the cross and, you know, was revived later. This is proof that he died. And then it says, and that he rose again. I like what David Guzik said about Jesus rising again, an essential part of the gospel. He says, the cross was a time of victorious death, a negative triumph. Sin was defeated, but nothing positive was put in its place until the resurrection. The resurrection showed that Jesus did not succumb to the inevitable result of sin. The resurrection is proof of his conquest. And so Jesus paid the price. He died for our sins. And that, when Jesus cried, it is finished from the cross. What he is saying is the price has been paid. Everything has been exacted. The, the term that he used is an accounting term to say the debt has been paid. And then he died. He didn't see any point in hanging around on the cross after the price had been paid. And so he gave up his life, is what the scripture would say. And so that part of it, the, the death part of it, pays for the penalty of sin. But like David said, that's a negative triumph. There's, not, there's nothing that has taken its place. Uh, there's not a, was it, uh, but nothing positive will put, was put in its place until the resurrection. And so, yes, the price had been paid through the death of Jesus, but the proof of his conquest is in his resurrection. It's that he defeated sin. It's that he defeated death, not merely paid for them. And so, the resurrection is a necessary part of the gospel. It says that he rose again on the third day. And many people struggle with that. In the gospels, it, say, it would say that he was in the, in the grave three days and three nights. And and we would say, well, how is that possible? We celebrate uh, the Good Friday, and then, what, 36 hours later, or roughly, we're celebrating resurrection morning. And so how could it be three days and three nights that Jesus was in the grave? Well, it takes an understanding of the way they considered time back then. They, they, they don't, when we say, would say three days and three nights, we would think 72 hours. And so how does that fit from Good Friday to Sunday morning? But they considered any part of a day a complete day. And so as he was crucified on Friday and was resurrected on the first day of the week, therefore Sunday, that is sufficient for them to say that that fulfills the three days. And again, it says according to the scripture, second time he said that, like I said, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. And then we get into the eyewitnesses, verse 5, just a few more verses. After resurrecting, after Jesus has come back from the dead, can we get our heads around that for a second? You know, people don't generally do that. 
Jesus has come back from the dead. Now he is seen by others. Verse 5 says, He was seen by Cephas, that being Peter, then by the twelve, the disciples. And we know at this point that the twelve is just a way of saying the, the, the disciples. There weren't literally twelve at this point anymore, were there? Because Judas had already hung himself, and so they were down to eleven. But I think it's interesting that it, Paul points out and, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. It's almost as though Jesus took time alone with Peter. And if you think back to the way Peter finished before Jesus was crucified, that's kind of cool. Because Peter denied Jesus three times. And then Jesus went to the cross. And so uh, there's this, uh, it sounds like after Jesus comes back three days later, that he spends a moment at least with, with Peter to say, yeah, that's forgiven, that's paid for, let's, let's move on. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James. That James they speak of there would be his, his half-brother, James, the, the one that wrote the, the um, epistle. Then by all the apostles. Then, last of all, he was seen by me also as worn, born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because... I persecuted the church of God. His resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, is collaborated by over 500 people, some of which were still living there at the beginnings of the church and then also included by Paul. I, I like, and I don't think that Paul is trying for false humility here. I believe in verse 9 that he is being open and honest and that he is saying, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. I believe he hung a weight of, around his neck, not a, not a condemnation, because he would write that none are condemned in Christ, but he felt the weight of his actions in persecuting the church. He stood by as Stephen was stoned. He, in essence, was responsible for another man's death, and I believe that that continued to motivate him in grace. And so... Uh, he, I don't believe verse 9 is a false humility at all. I believe he felt as though I'm, I had nothing in me that would warrant Jesus coming to me. In fact, I was one who persecuted the church, and yet Christ did. And so it's a, it's a beautiful picture of grace. We're going to end it there for tonight because I wanted to just focus today on the gospel, the good news, that Verses 3 and 4. Christ died for our sins. And as we walk this world, and as we walk with Christ, we can't venture far from that. That's our hub. That's our... The, the, the spokes of our belief, the spokes of our faith go off of this idea that Christ died for our sins. We have to continually come back to this idea. I look at you guys, I, I know you guys well enough to know that you know that. 
but we need to hear it again. And you know what? Tomorrow, we're going to need to hear it again. And the next day, we need to hear it again. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and that He rose again on the third day. From that point, He's going to launch off into uh, a defense of the resurrection of the dead. And that's what the rest of the chapter is about. Evidently, a teaching had infiltrated the church to say there is no resurrection of the dead. And so he's going to spend the rest of the chapter defending why there is a resurrection of the dead, of course, because Christ was resurrected first. Okay? With me? Amen. Amen. All right. Let's stand. Let's close in prayer. We'll head home. Jesus, we thank you for for the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are forgiven, that we are set free from the law of sin and death through the cross. And more than that, we are resurrected to life through the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus. There is no better news, Lord. And that is the the hinge point. That is the center hub of our faith and so I, I don't feel like time wasted tonight because we need to continue to remind ourselves of that good news. Help us to be bold to preach it, Lord. May we be the people bearing the good news. May we have the feet of those that are bearing good news, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. I thank you for those that have come tonight. Pray you bless our church. Continue to guide and direct us by the power of your Holy Spirit. May we make an impact in our community and in our world, Lord, for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless. God bless.